Homeschooling isn't just about education. It's about your kids, it's about your family, and it's about a lifestyle. Hi, my name is Jackie and I'm the founder of Homeschool Think Tank. The Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast is about community, family, education, and life. I believe that these are the things that matter to homeschool families. Tune in each week and let's talk. I'll bring you a message from my heart, an expert interview, or an interview with the ultimate homeschooling experts, homeschool families like yours. Remember to check the link in the show notes below and you'll find an article that corresponds with this episode. Finally, remember to visit homeschoolthinktank.com for more information about how we serve homeschooling families. All right, let's get started with this week's episode. Today's interview is with Sarah R. Moore, and this is the second interview I have done with her. So the first interview is all about world schooling because she is a world schooling mom. And this second interview is all about Dandelion Seeds Positive Parenting because she is the founder of Dandelion Seeds. So in this episode, you'll be learning a lot more about positive parenting strategies and techniques. However, we are going to begin the interview by talking about the actual homeschooling aspect of world schooling, because after I finished that first interview, I realized I had neglected to actually visit with her about the actual homeschooling aspect of world schooling because I got so interested in all of the details around world schooling and I think that is such an awesome thing to do if it's something you can do. All right, so I hope that you learn a lot in today's interview. Definitely check the link in the show notes below to get more information about Sarah, world schooling, and positive parenting. Enjoy this episode. Why don't you Tell us a little bit, just a snippet about positive, your positive parenting, Dandelion Seeds Positive Parenting, and then tell us a little bit about homeschooling as a world schooler. And let's dive into that a little before we move into the Dandelion Seeds Positive Parenting stuff. So. Sure. I would be happy to. So Dandelion Seeds Positive Parenting was the Basically, it came from my wanting to raise my child in a way that was based on connection and relationship rather than power and control, because we all know all of the science that authoritarian, my way or the highway, you must do what I say because I'm the adult type parenting is detrimental to children. So I wanted to have a relationship with my child where we would actually like each other. We would naturally wanna collaborate with each other and cooperate with each other because we've got a good relationship. It doesn't mean we have no boundaries. It doesn't mean I'm permissive. It's none of the fallacies that people sometimes think of when they think not authoritarian. Instead, it's authoritative, confident parenting but from a place of connection and love. And I'll talk more about that later in the episode, but I offer mini courses, webinars, one-on-one -on -one coaching. I'm also a certified positive parenting coach and I'm a writer for lots of magazines around the world. And I've got two books coming out this year as well. So I didn't know. Oh, I'm excited <laughs> to hear more about this, Sarah. Thank you. So we'll have to do another interview. <laughs> I really like Sarah. She, you're just super easy to click with and you're interesting. You're so interesting to speak with. Well, thank so you. 
So tell me about homeschooling as a world schooler, because last time we talked, we talked a lot about minimalism because that sort of comes into being a world schooler, schooler and being able to travel with ease. And how do you homeschool? How do you keep that lightweight? Share what you will. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah, back when we were world schooling, of course, now we are hunkering down due to the pandemic. So we are very much a, you know, school within our four walls, homeschooler family. But back when we were world schooling, we did not lug around suitcases full of curriculum or anything like that. It just wouldn't have been feasible. What we carried was on our backs, in our suitcases, and it had to be navigable with a small child in tow as well. I didn't want to lose the child at some train station somewhere because I was too busy paying attention to where all the books were. So we kept it light intentionally, and that is generally our approach to homeschooling as well. I came from the public school system and generally had a fairly positive experience with it. So I, in my own experience, knew the brick and mortar approach. I knew that you had to do these subjects at this time. I knew worksheets. I knew all of the things that people associate with brick and mortar because that was my story. When it came time to homeschool my own child, I definitely started with some curriculum. By the same token, I was really, really, really fortunate to learn a lot about child development and neuroscience and brain science of young children when my child was a young child. So I knew that play had to, had to be her primary method of learning when she was little because everything else, when it's too academic, is also linked to negative long-term effects. So we really focused on play early on. And fortunately for me, my daughter was and is a big book lover. Yeah. So a lot of the things that I thought about teaching her, she wanted to learn naturally because she loved it when I had her on my lap and would read her stories. So I chose a lot of the books. I let her choose a lot of the books and we had a really good mix of totally frivolous. There is zero educational value here, but she is developing a love of books. So there's actually a big benefit there, mm -hmm. along with having books where it's like, yeah, you know what, if maybe one out of 10 books is something about, oh, I don't know, the solar system or plants or animals or something that is quote unquote educational, I feel like there's a little bit of teaching here that I'm doing alongside that. Now, as she got older, I noticed that she was still really into reading and I learned a little bit more about her learning style. And if I did plunk a worksheet down in front of her and said, all right, it's time to homeschool. It's nine o'clock in the morning. This is my plan for the day. I got a lot of resistance from her. However, yeah. if I would plunk that same worksheet down, but perhaps make it in the form of a coloring sheet, you know, maybe it was a, a math thing, but instead of just math problems for the sake of math problems, it was, you know, if you do two plus three, you color that answer red every time you see it, you know, and just started making yes. it a little more interesting based on where she was developmentally. I noticed that she would gravitate towards those things and want to learn about them. 
So the more we followed her lead and taught to the child in front of us, rather than my preconceived notions of what I thought school should be, the more she embraced learning, the more she dove deep into the topics and the less I had to worry about, oh, is she actually learning anything? Because that was all about my anxiety mm -hmm. and not about the child actually developing a love of learning. And I will share this if there are any parents worrying about, does that work? Oh my goodness, but they have to learn this thing because my neighbor's kid is six and they can read perfectly. So my child has to be reading perfectly at six too. Not true. Everybody develops on their own path and in their own way. Our job as homeschoolers is to introduce the concepts and make them interesting to children. My child is now seven. And, you know, the other day we were reading a story and the story was about feelings. We were doing a social emotional intelligence book and mm -hmm. she was reading. Oh, what was it? Um, it was called, I think all my feelings are okay. It's a new one. All my feelings are okay. Oh, good. I, I'm actually getting ready. I believe it's not sealed in, you know, it's not a done deal yet, but I think I'm going to be interviewing an author that just released a book about emotional intelligence. So I was like, Ooh, this will all sort of tie together. I, I love learning about emotional intelligence. <laughs> so go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. But um, just to finish the example, I said to, you know, we read this book that this author had actually sent me because she wanted my review of it. So mm -hmm. my time, I was reading with my daughter to see if it was good to see if we liked it. And I asked her, well, what did you think of that book? And she, keep in mind, she's seven. She said, Mama, it was a pretty good book, but it might not work for really sensitive children who are younger because we see a lot of big feelings on these pages. And that child might start to feel the same feeling that the child in the picture has because of their mirror neurons. And that might feel overwhelming to them. She had that language. She did, yeah. That's so, amazing. <laughs> it's about what you expose your children to. And I have to say, I, I smiled when I'm like, yeah, my seven-year-old's talking about mirror neurons. Now, is she yeah. in a worksheet of long division? No, she's not there yet. But, you know. Every kid is so different. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. It, it, what was that last part you said? It sort of silenced at the end. Oh, I said, we're, we're working with the child. And that is my long-winded way to say that is how we homeschool. Well, yes. And I have followed a similar path. Now, can I ask you, <laughs> we're going to dive into the positive parenting. I think it'll all flow together here. But the as a parent, I found that I actually read about unschooling and a lot of play learning. And I was actually, before I had kids, I was a preschool teacher at a, or an assistant, I should say, at a nationally accredited child development center. And that's not a small thing. It's a pretty big deal. And in other words, it was, it was very quality. I, the student to teacher ratio was so small. And it, I mean, I learned a lot there that made me a better parent. Um, I lost my train of thought here. Oh, but one of the, so I had the knowledge, right? But one of the most difficult things for me as a mom, as a mom was to overcome 
the public school mindset because I felt, I always felt this pressure of, you know, when you use curriculum, it's very easy to prove that you're checking all the boxes, right? If you ever need to prove it. But when you're not using a specific curriculum, while you may very well be checking and exceeding those boxes, proving it much more difficult, right? So I always found that, and I still do to some degree to this day, a bit of a hamper for me in my mind. And I really, even though I can logically understand the value of doing things in a very different way. Did you struggle with that? And if you did, how were you able to push past that a little bit? That's a really good question. Um, I certainly struggled with it sometimes, particularly as my child started getting older and, you know, I was starting to hear more or you know, terrible social media, see people post things that their kids had done in school. And I would start to get self-conscious about, oh, we haven't done that thing. Oh my goodness, my child has never done a diorama. Am I a failure as a parent? <laughs> you know, it's, it, yes, we all have those concerns. It's perfectly natural. At the same time, how we get over that is to simply look at the child in front of us. It's not about what's that kid doing? We don't really know what that kid is doing unless mm -hmm. we live in that house. Sure, maybe that kid can make the perfect diorama. That kid might be doing long division at age five. You know, we don't know. They might be brilliant, but maybe that kid doesn't know how to get along well with others. Maybe that kid doesn't know how to pour a bowl of cereal. Maybe that kid doesn't know how to say, I am feeling you know, fill in the blank with whatever the feeling is. We, we have no idea what that child's real life is like. Mm -hmm. So if we can look at our very own child, and this is what I did. I looked at my very own child and said, you know what? I don't have to judge. I can simply observe what does my child know how to do? And I don't need to worry too much about, is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Does it reflect on me and my you know, relevance as a human being and as a homeschooling mama. No, it's just information. And we can work with that information. If we feel that there truly is a deficit there, number one, check and see, is that feeling coming from someone else? Is someone else judging you? you. Or is it really a concern that's coming from you? If it's somebody else, let it go. If it's you, okay, why do I have that feeling? And really look inward and decide what well, is this a problem? If it is a problem, what can I do about it? But I don't need to define myself or my child as winning or losing, succeeding or failing based on some preconceived notion of what we think they should be doing. You know, uh, it, is, I, it is really so important to accept your child for who they are. And my kids and I were actually talking about this just the other day because my children are not the people who I thought I would have birthed. <laughs> you know, let's look at an example. So I, I guess I, if you would have asked me, what will your daughters love as they get older before they were born? or when they were babies, I would have thought they would have done things like me, right? I did a lot of dance. I did swim team. You know, um, 
I, I had all these various interests. Do you know what? They share very few interests <laughs> while they've been exposed to much of it. They clearly did not want to dance when they were young. Um, my oldest daughter had no desire to learn to play piano. My old, my youngest daughter plays it some, but mostly because I, I sort of snuck it in, but she did want to learn violin, but she's taking a break right now. And she's, but you know what she really loves? And she's loved since she could barely walk is snails, snakes, reptiles. I, I always think she's like the next Jane Goodall because she loves, and she loves all the animals and it's what, it's who she really is. You know, she does dog agility with her dogs and all of these different things. And then they both like horses. You know, my oldest daughter loves graphic design and writing. And actually the youngest daughter likes writing too, which it's funny. I, I guess I'm sort of a writer now because I have a blog, right? But I never would have thought I would be a writer. And, and, I, and I have a book, but it wasn't something I thought I would be when I was younger. But, you know, it's, I, at some point, I just, I don't have any interest in horses, but since our oldest was little, she uh, she just gravitated to them and she's very natural on them and has had many compliments by accomplished horsemen, you know, and that doesn't come from me. That's not me pushing them into it. That is, it's, and we even have a snake in our house now and a gecko and we had a frog for a while, but you know, I never thought I would have these things, but, or but that is just embracing the child who you have is this is what my child loves. And I guess if she wants to breed snakes, well, it's not something I want. Maybe we'll go down that road. And I think she could probably make a living with her reptile stuff pretty well. And, you know, same for the other daughter. It's, it's just embracing who they are. And just loving them for who they are, but helping them become better people, I suppose. That's, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to like railroad that. But it, it just, it makes me think because you do have this sort of vision maybe of where your family will go. And sometimes it's very different than you expect. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Definitely my story as well. Yeah. Yeah. And how is that your story? So what did you love? And what do your, what, what does your daughter love? That's very different goodness um you know we are definitely kindred spirits you know we have a lot in common but even just little things like I too was a dancer I danced for 25 years probably mm -hmm. primarily back then. and I exposed her to it she liked it but it wasn't really a passion you know she wanted to get more into gymnastics and she talks a lot about that yet and growing up for me it was always kind of in school anyway the gymnasts versus the dancers. You know, you were one or you were the other, but you would never be both because it was a different social group. So I see. You wanted to be, you know, into gymnastics. It was like, oh, but that's that's the other side, and you know, it's it's all good. If the kid wants to cartwheel, hey, cartwheel away. Have have fun. Mm -hmm. Embrace it. This isn't me getting to relive my childhood. This is her yeah. own childhood. Yep. I agree. I agree. So 
Let's sort of transition into more of the positive parenting. Now, I know in the world schooling episode we did, you gave a definition, but for people who haven't heard that episode, do you want to sort of recap what positive parenting is and share a little bit more? Sure, sure. Yeah, it is basically parenting with the good of the relationship in mind. It is not looking for short-term quick fixes. It is not about getting kids to do things because all of those things, as I mentioned at the beginning of the call are about power and control. With positive parenting, we know that there is no place for power and control in a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. And as I mentioned, this is not about being permissive. This is not about having no boundaries or no guidelines, but this is working alongside our children to create win-win situations. I always say it's never, us against our child. It's us and our child against the problem we're trying to solve. Oh, I like that. I like how you phrased that. So do you want to give us an example of a situation maybe you've encountered where you've had to go down this road? I mean, there's many, I'm sure, <laughs> every day. Well, yeah. Um, you know, there's one really common one that I see a lot in my online parenting groups. It is, how do I get my kid to do this thing? I've told him five times, I've told him 10 times, I've told him a million times, go brush your blankety blank teeth. You know, it is not hard. <laughs> they know how to do it. I've seen them brush their teeth before. Why is my child just not doing this thing? Well, in the positive parenting world, I would say a lot of things. But first of all, children, just like adults, don't necessarily need to be asked more times. It's not, oh, I didn't hear you the first 20 times you asked me. Oftentimes it is, is the approach I'm taking to connect to my child effective? And that doesn't mean we need to get closer, louder, more verbally or physically violent. It is not about getting more um, intimidating. It is about what is my child needing right now? There is something blocking my child from doing this thing in this example, toothbrushing. Are they looking for connection? Are they looking for me to keep them company? Are they having trouble transitioning away from the activity that they're doing? How can I support my child in a way where we get the teeth brushed, but it doesn't create anxiety in either of our bodies? Because we all know that feeling. Somebody isn't doing something that we want them to do. And we feel that tension might be in our chest or our shoulders. It's really frustrating. And first of all, I want to say, I get that it's really frustrating. I have been there. I have oh, yes. been, you know, against my child when, why won't you just come to the dinner table? I'm tired of asking, but it always comes back to how am I asking? What am I doing that is not connecting with her? What does she need right now that will make this transition easier? And the beautiful thing about this is it's not just for little kids and toothbrushing. It can be also, you know, might be big kids and homework. It might be big kids and coming up with an acceptable time to come home in the evening. 
it's not about I need to tell them more or louder or in a scarier way. It's about here's a problem over here. How are we going to work together to solve this rather than having it be about a power struggle? Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It does. Every time I interview somebody, you can't help but think about things in your own perspective too. And I'm sure there are other people like this too. So my oldest daughter, I can ask her to do anything. No problem. I mean, she's just super laid back. My youngest daughter, almost the total opposite. She does not like to be told what to do. So I, my approach with her, and this is, it took me literally years to learn that I just was using a completely wrong approach with her. I can't be direct with her. I have to take the scenic route to get there, which I find very frustrating. And as much as possible, make it her idea or even her sister's idea, but not mine. (laughs) And I mean, it's been that way since she was probably two or three. It's just, it's the way she is. She, She just doesn't like to be told what to do. And so do you have suggestions for parents who are like me, who have a child that is not real easy to get to do things. Absolutely. Yes. And that is very much my husband's communication style as well. And my daughter, like your youngest daughter, doesn't like to be told what to do. And frankly, none of us really like being told what to do. So it's very human to react that way. So for the child who feels strong-willed, who feels stubborn, you know, a lot of these adjectives that we ascribe to the child who isn't complying with what we need to do, There's a really helpful short phrase that I encourage parents to keep in mind. See the child. See the child means look at the child's experience. Put yourself in their shoes. Understand what is it that's going on for them internally that may or may not have anything to do with the request that you're making of them. So If, for example, you know, my child is face down on the couch, it's dinner time, she's tired, she's hungry, whatever, and my husband says, come to the table, it's not going to fly because she's already face down on the couch. So what he needs to do in that moment, and I have been guilty of this as well, see the child. Okay, I observe she's tired, she's face down. She probably is not in a place where she is thinking, I really feel like moving my body right now. She's happy there. So once he or anybody is able to see the child's experience, what they are living in that moment, it's much easier to then adjust our strategy. So in the example that I'm sharing, he might go over and rub her back for a second, get her back kind of into her body, get her back into her you know, senses. And you know, he might offer her, would you like to hold my hand on the way to the table? Would you like a piggyback ride? Would you like, you know, but it's about seeing what does this child need right now, as opposed to what am I trying to accomplish? We, we change it from being egocentric, being self-centered, what do I need right now? to what's going on for them and how can I communicate in a way that's going to resonate with them rather than just being all about 
what I want to have happen. You really, you could use this for everybody, right? See the person. And it, it's so difficult sometimes because you really have to be very self-aware and conscious of how the other people in your life are feeling, which I think this is something everybody could use. I mean, as homeschooling families, especially as what I'm calling true homeschooling families, where we homeschool before COVID, we'll homeschool after COVID. It's what we do, right? We're, we're together a lot, but for nearly every family in the world right now, they're together a lot. And to be really mindful about how the other people are feeling around you is, it, it really takes a lot to stay in that space. So do you have suggestions to help people keep their minds in the right place so that they are more aware of how the child is feeling and even others? Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. It is oftentimes a matter of being really reflective, being really self-aware and saying, what's going on for me? You know, if I say to my child, I've told you five times, get off the couch. It's time for dinner. What am I noticing in my body right now? What am I feeling? Tension, tension, right? Exactly. Even I'm just making up the example and granted I'm a pretty self, you know, sensitive person, but even when I'm pretending here, I can feel this tension kind of in my, you know, where my heart meets my gut, kind of just this ball of ugh, ball of angst. Yeah. So if I can be aware of I'm feeling anxiety about this. All right, because I feel this tension, what can I do to release the tension in this moment? Because when I come at my child from that kind of energy, who the heck would want to respond to that? That's not connecting at all. But if I can say, all right, I feel tense, I'm going to take a few deep breaths, I am going to take a different approach, perhaps I can do something silly right now, or I can do a stretch, I'm going to do something, no matter what it is, to break this negative energy that I'm feeling, I'm going to turn a page and try something new here. But without looking inside, my natural inclination is to blame the person in front of me for causing my anxiety. That is not part of positive and peaceful parenting. That is, is very conducive to control-based parenting, where then we make the child get up, we threaten, we do whatever, and that's the opposite of what we really want in a relationship. So check in with yourself, ask yourself, what is it that I need right now? And I guarantee you, what you need is not for your child to get off the couch. What you need is to find something within yourself to feel peaceful, to give yourself a good resource to reconnect with yourself so that you can approach the situation. Because remember, it's not you two, it's the situation. You can absorb, you can approach the situation in a peaceful manner rather than one coming from control. Yes. So I'm going to share just a little bit here. Years ago, we were really struggling with my youngest daughter. She, she's been a challenge to raise, but I have to own some of that, right? I have to own a significant portion of it really. And where, so to just share a little bit here, we, I had always planned on homeschooling my kids. We always I thought I would, when I was pregnant with my oldest, I knew I was going to homeschool. And with my youngest, 
in her early elementary years, there was a point where I couldn't do it another day. And we put her in private school for a year and a half. And it was a really good decision because what we did is we broke a lot of negative habits, but we didn't just put her in private school. We got a therapist involved. We, we asked for help and I, we did not send her to the therapist. The whole family went and honestly, it was our interactions between my husband and I that changed more than anything that brought peace into our home. And our therapist, number one suggestions, he really didn't even care if she accomplished her homework um, because our connection needed to come first. He said, and I was like forbidden to even help her. (laughs) It was, excuse me. It was, uh, so I didn't, I said, well, what, what if my husband's out of town? He said, then she doesn't do it. Don't, don't even try. Don't even try. You're basically what he was saying is your connection is more important than the curriculum. So there was that. And then really it became over time, me focusing on our connection over the curriculum, but this is where, you know, I was, this is where I got into trouble as a homeschooling parent, right? Is I felt such a need to do curriculum and I have nothing against curriculum. If it's working, if it's effective, if it's what your child wants to do, I, I now recognize that the curriculum didn't matter so much as learning the concepts. So let's say with addition, we could have played Yahtzee every day after lunch instead of doing a math book. So that's, and she would have learned addition. The the curriculum didn't matter. The concept matters. And there's a lot of ways you can go around about that. But truly that it doesn't mean that she can't be a challenge to raise. But my approach made all the difference. And after a year and a half, well, or it was private school, but private school wasn't perfect either. You know, it, it was good. And then things changed. The classroom dynamic changed. The, the classroom increased kids and the energy level of the kids. And she sort of a, is easily overloaded by sensory things. So we, we made changes and she came back home to homeschooling and she homeschools again today. But I always put our connection before curriculum. There are no exceptions because I recognize, you know, when she came back to homeschooling, we had to be very, I I was scared to return. You know, I did not want to fall back in those negative patterns and we, we navigated it. We've, we've done okay. So I can't say it's perfect, but what is? So anyway, I just thought I'd speak to that a little bit. I'm sorry. Uh, But it, it, you know, these things, these things really matter. And this is, this is why I do these interviews is to share expertise from people like you. And honestly, sometimes I'm sharing my own vulnerabilities too. And it's not easy. (laughs) It's not like you want to go out and be like, Hey, we had a lot of problems, (laughs) but we've had our challenges. And then I'll, I'll, I've shared this in one other episode, but I'll share it quickly. And maybe you can give another example of how to do this because you talked about connecting with yourself. I learned this technique in Brendan Burchard's high performance habits. And I, but I applied it to parenting and 
so probably what five years ago I had a hysterectomy and that throws you into menopause and then it took me a while to get that medication right and I was sort of losing my mind (laughs) I was a little short and snappy and but then at some point it's like well I'm on the highest dose they can give me and I still feel like I could use a little more at times so I really had to do some things to to bring myself like to be the mom I wanted to be let's put it that way to be the mom I wanted to be And I was finding I was getting a little snappy a few times a day and I wasn't enjoying being with myself. And if you don't enjoy being with yourself, guess what? Nobody else enjoys it either. (laughs) So I, I, uh, I wrote, I put dandelion in my alarm and I had it go off the three times a day. One was more of a reminder not to get that way. The other two were the times a day when I would sort of get snappy. And then I put the sticky note like on my mirror and on my fridge and my kids thought it was crazy. My alarm would go off with this word dandelion and they're like, what's dandelion? And I wouldn't tell anybody forever. But what it did is it made me mindful of who I wanted to be. And, but it took me back to a very specific time in my childhood, you know, blowing on the dandelions. It was a peaceful moment. Right. And so it worked, Sarah, it worked probably in less than five weeks. I, I, and I've never gone back to that way. I, it, it worked in a long-term way. And if I find myself getting that way again, I'll put it in there again. And, and I actually told my kids at one point, if, if I get, if I start getting grumpy, just say dandelion to me. Okay. <laughs> Once in a while they would, but it was really effective and it helped me connect with myself and be the person I wanted to be. So that's all of that sort of came from you talking about connecting with yourself. Do you want to speak to that some more? Because I think it's one of the most important things you can do as a homeschooling parent is to connect with yourself and be mindful of who you are. And I think that's where a lot of your success in homeschooling comes from is from being a mindful parent, really. Yes, absolutely. And I love your vulnerability. Everything you shared just gave me happy goosebumps because it's oh. powerful and relatable. And yeah, I mean, therapy is a good thing. You know, it doesn't have the stigma that it used to have. And being aware of the things that you don't want to bring to parenting, that's vulnerability that has to happen if we're going to heal. So a lot of it really comes down to what is it that I need to heal? And my last tip around this topic that I will share for the day is breaking habits takes time, especially if we have gotten into the habit of yelling, of controlling, of snapping, whatever it is, that becomes our default wiring. And it is directly related to neuroscience. To some degree, you are not even responsible for it because it is simply the wiring that your brain tells your body and your mouth to do when met with certain situations. Now, thanks to the brilliant concept of neuroplasticity, we can rewire our brains. Well, how do we do that? How do we develop new patterns? A lot of that is through the mindfulness that you talk about. Some people pray about it. Certainly asking for a different path can be really beneficial to some people. Other people use meditations. No matter what the 
greater good is that you connect to, the one tip that I would have that will create change in your hard wiring in your brain is visualize that situation that is typically tricky for you, but visualize over and over it having a very specific, different outcome. So if, for example, I'll use yelling because it's really common. If your child does this thing and your response is to yell, it's your default. Before you go to bed at night, before you wake up in the morning, when you are standing over the pot of pasta, stirring and not necessarily engaged with anybody or anything else, picture your child doing that thing that irks you, but imagine the details of how you are going to respond differently this time. Picture it as if it is a, a movie of your real life playing in your head. Our imaginations are incredibly powerful. So powerful, in fact, that we can make things true that have never even happened. So when we visualize ourselves not yelling, well, what do we have to do? Replace it with what we are doing. Are we deciding that when our child does that thing, are we gonna take a moment to sit down on the floor wherever we are and take a couple of deep breaths? Our kid might look at us like, why are you sitting on the floor, mama? You know, what's going on here? But visualize that thing. Visualize yourself kneeling down next to your child and rubbing their shoulder gently and saying, no matter what you do, I want you to know that my love for you is stronger than anything else in this whole entire world. Practice whatever resonates with you over and over and over and over and again in your head. That starts to become your reality. And then here's the hard part. You have to be brave enough and strong enough to actually break the pattern with your child. Sometimes something like yelling is our safety. This is how I shut you out because conflict feels unsafe. It feels scary to me. We have to be brave and strong enough to say, I'm going to choose connection with you. I'm going to follow through on this scenario that I have been visualizing because I know that that one has a peaceful outcome. Now, if it doesn't work the first time, if our kids expect us to yell, so they respond even as if we had when we didn't, trust that even their rewiring is gonna take time. You have to rebuild that trust, and you shared that example, but you have to rebuild that trust, rewire that brain, not only for yourself, but also for your child, because they're expecting a certain response from you. And from that place of inner work, you can heal your entire relationship. So I know I said that was my last answer for the day and we're at the end of our time, but I thought it was important to give a couple of examples of- Go ahead, go ahead. I love that. And you will have the last word here. Even if I think of something, I'm not going to say it <laughs> because I want you to. And Sarah, that just falls right into the philosophy I have as a homeschooling parent is connection must come first. So go ahead. Yeah, well, that is really the gist of it. It's about healing ourselves, healing our inner child, you know, thinking back to our families of origin and thinking, what was I not allowed to do? What was I not allowed to express? Typically, therein lies a lot of the healing that we need to do. And when we see those behaviors in our kids that we may not have been allowed to have or didn't feel safe to have, 
those things can be really triggering for us. So, but they are also a wonderful gift because then we know what to work with. Yes. Sarah, thank you. That was excellent. And you, you brought so many things to light. And I think the last part for me that you brought to light that was that even after you change your habit, the other person may still be wired to expect your previous response and you need to be patient and give them time to rewire as well, but it will happen. That, that was like gold. That was a new thought for me. So thank you for that so much. I hope that you enjoyed this interview with Sarah R. Moore, the founder of Dandelion Seeds Positive Parenting. Again, remember to check the link in the show notes below so that you can learn more about Sarah and world schooling and positive parenting. And also remember, you can get that free course from Sarah and you will find how to do that in the link that corresponds with this podcast episode. Also, you can always learn more about our podcast guests at homeschoolthinktank.com slash interviews. Live and learn your way. My name is Jackie and I am your host of the Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast. Bye-bye. I want to say thank you for listening to the Homeschool Think Tank Parenting Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, I'd like to ask you to take a moment to follow this podcast and share it with a friend. Remember to check the show notes for a link to the article that corresponds with this podcast episode. In this article, we'll include any links that we mentioned in this episode. And remember that you can search all of the Homeschool Think Tank parenting podcast episodes at homeschoolthinktank.com.